Lord Jesus, we glorify your wonderful and precious name, how great you are. Lord, we ask you, Lord, to bless the morning Bible study here this morning at this time. Lord, we ask you to touch those families, Lord, that have suffered loss of their children and grandchildren. We ask you to be with them, God, and help them, give them strength. Let your presence, your spirit, your power, your presence, and your glory, God, sustain them, keep them, support them, be with them. God, we glorify you. Bless that church in Louisiana, God, and be with those people. Be with all of your people, God, in Jesus' name. We praise you and love you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your friend next to you, shake their hand, and greet them in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Calvin Jenkins, would you come to the platform for a moment here? There's a mic right over here. You'll just turn it on there. While you're being seated, I have uh, asked Brother Calvin Jenkins to give his testimony here to this Bible class this morning. Uh, I mentioned it last week, and I had, I don't know how many people last Sunday evening at our, at our dinner uh, cookout over on, in the other building. I had several people ask me, when's he going to give his testimony? <laughs> so uh, I'm going to ask him. I know our morning services have been full, a lot of activities going on there, and so rather than infringe on that, in the olden days, we used to have a time that we gave time for testimonies where people got healed. A lot of times, uh, people come to church with a headache and they leave without a headache. And we, we say, well, it's a healing. Well, yeah, but, you know, but there's some that's really dynamic healings. This is one of those. We've got some others like that, too, in this church. Brother Calvin, I want you to get the mic right there and just walk up here someplace. Stand. I want to stand here with you. And uh, I'm not going to sit down. I want you to give you just just stand here behind the desk. Give me just stand right there and give your testimony. This man's got a fabulous. I'll sit down while you do that. Praise the Lord, Church. Praise the Lord. I'm just here to thank Jesus for what yes. It's an awesome. It's an awesome situation that I got into. The bottom part of my heart just decided to stop beating. Top part slowed down to 39 beats per minute. Went through all of that and uh, uh, then I started having these chest pains and I couldn't figure out what was, what was happening. You know, I thought everything was okay. So I went back to the hospital or went back to the clinic. And they, start, they started doing all this series of nuclear tests that injected, you know, nuclear substance, and it helps them to see the arteries in your heart with an x-ray machine. So uh, the doctor called back after that. They didn't tell me anything that day, but he called back after that. And uh, he, the nurse said, the doctor doesn't like what he's seen. And so the church has been praying for me, and, uh, and I want to thank you all for that. Uh, I know that, uh, that that just means so much to me. So uh, I decided to do a heart catheter to see what was going on. 
And uh, so this is round two. But I was standing right over there, and if you all will remember back about a month, I think it's been about a month, there was a message in tongues came, and the Lord said, I am here. And he was going to do this or that, you know, several things, maybe healing, whatever. And I was standing right over there. And uh, there, this warmth came right in my chest. And I thought, oh, thank you, Jesus. Because the chest pains all went away. Praise God. They all went away. Praise God. And I thought, well, I'll just call up tomorrow and cancel this heart catheter. But we decided that we go ahead and just see what the Lord had done. So here I was, I was laying in the hospital, and I haven't told the doctor what happened. But uh, he came in, I was in the operating room, and the x-ray machine was all set up and everything, and he came in, and he stood right beside of me, and he said, how are you doing, you know? And I said, well, you know, I haven't had any chest pains, oh, you know, for two or three days here. And he said, well, what do you think happened? I said, go ahead and check. So, so he checked. And he said, you may have some things wrong with you, but it's not your heart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I told him, I said, you know, I want to tell you, you asked me the question, and I want to tell you that the Lord healed my heart. <laughs> and Amen. I didn't know how he would take this because he's a, he has about 38 years of experience with hearts. And uh, he said, divine intervention. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and that was certainly the truth. And I got to check, and I told him, I said, you know, you're the only one that has actually seen. I just felt. <laughs> uh -huh. yeah. So everything turned out to the glory of the Lord. And I certainly, I certainly want the Lord to have all the glory for what he's done. He's a good God. Amen. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. 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 Let's stand together and get God one more time. Lord, we love you. We love you. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We magnify your name, O oh Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, you're great and greater to be praised. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for what you do for us, through us. God bless these people. God bless you, Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Brother Calvin Jenkins is a very praying man. He really is. Most all of us know that. He is a prayer warrior. And uh, God is faithful. There's some other healings we've had in this church that's very similar to that. Get a chance, we'll have them to give their testimony. Well, everybody say praise the Lord. God bless you. We are into a very interesting subject here. I want you to look in your Bibles, if you would, uh, with us here. Well, I'll have you turn to that chapter in a moment, but we're into the 24th chapter 
of Matthew. That's where we're going with this. The 24th chapter of Matthew, Luke chapter 21, Mark 13. These chapters are very similar in that they all three record uh, Jesus's dissertation on the Mount of Olives whenever he looked upon the temple and he would never, he would not go back or never went back again into the temple. And he looked upon it and he knew it was time for his own personal earthly ministry to be coming to a close. And the 23rd chapter is what we looked at last week. And we talked about when God visits men because it's referred to as the Lord's visitation to Israel. I'll give you some more scripture on that. We'll refer to some scripture that we referred to last week. But it's God's visitation to man. Jesus Christ was God's visitation to man. And it was prophesied that, that they would get a visit from God and that Jesus, you know, was that visitation. And uh, Jesus looked upon the city, wept upon it. We talked to you about it last week about it and so forth. But there has been times that God would visit uh, a place in the Bible. Now, understand that God is everywhere. And God is in heaven above, heaven is his throne, the earth is his footstool. Uh, there's no place that God is not his spirit, just covered everything. His spirit's like light. Uh, light is not hampered, it just travels, it goes. And God's spirit is everywhere. However, the Lord uses terms and languages that we understand, that we can identify with. So he talks about coming down. And many times he did come down as an angel. Last week we talked about how he came down and visited Abraham and talk to Abraham about him destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. It was God and two angels with him. The two angels went on to Sodom and Gomorrah, got Lot and his family all out of the city, and then the fire, of course, came and destroyed the city. Uh, other places it has talked about God's visitation. That expression, God's visitation, in Jeremiah alone, I think is mentioned about a dozen times about how that God visits man or will visit man. Uh, one other verse of scripture, if you look with me, Genesis chapter 11, this is whenever that uh, mankind start tried to build the uh, tower of Babel. This was after Noah. And uh, I want you to look at these verses of scripture with us as well. And we're in the 11th chapter of Genesis, just very briefly here to look at this, to substantiate that God visits man and he sees what he's doing and he will determine what will be the outcome of it. In chapter 11, verse 1 of Genesis, and the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. This was uh, following Noah now, Noah and his three sons, and then their descendants. This, was, this happened about the fourth generation after Noah. The whole earth was of one language and one speech, verse 2, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. This is what is, is in uh, the area today that is between the, the Tigris River and the Euphrates River, and it is the, in the land of the country that we know of as Iraq, is Iraq. Let me move on here. Look at verse 4. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into the heaven, and let us make a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. In verse 5, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And notice here is talking about the Lord visiting them. Look at verse 7. This is my cane that fell. Don't worry about it. Verse 7, uh, go to, let us go down. This is the Lord talking to angels now. 
and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. I'm jumping down to verse 9. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth, so that they would not be all congregated in one place, because he said, Go ye into all the world, replenish the earth. He had commanded them to do that. They didn't do that. They went to one spot in the land of Shinar. They're going to build a tower. Uh, Josephus says that they were saying, if God ever sends another flood, we've got a tower we can all climb up on and so forth. Uh, he says that it doesn't say that in the Bible, but they tried to or started building this tower. And he confounded the language, which means that the bricklayer said to the mortar guy, hand me some more mortar, and he was speaking in a different language. All of a sudden it happened. And so you had all these different multiple languages that came forth. And so the people began to migrate into their own famous groups and where they could speak the same language. And then from there, they begin to, mig- they begin to migrate into other parts of the world. Now, it's normally known that the descendants of Seth, I'm sorry, the descendants of Sham went into Asia, Japheth went into Europe. And this is sort of a general generalization. And the descendants of Ham went into Africa and much of the Middle East. And also some of and Middle East, the Middle East was the melting pot of all of it. It's where they all started out from. So it has both and all. Now, look at the ninth verse. This is very interesting. And therefore is a name of it called Babel, because when they spoke to each other, they were babbling to each other. You understand why that word is used? In other words, they, they said, why are you babbling? I'm not babbling. You know, they, they were talking different languages. So to him, it was babbling. So the word Babel came out of, which means Babylon, Babylon. So the beginning of Babylon, Babylon had an ancient civilization that was here. And then it had a later civilization whenever it conquered Judah back in 588 BC and so forth. So uh, I'm just pointing out to you here how that all these things was back there as part of all of these uh, teachings in the word of God. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit here about the scriptures and about the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Israel, you're going to have your visitation. And I read this to you here in Luke chapter 19, uh, how that the Lord looked upon the city of Jerusalem and he wept over it. And then finally down in verse 44, 43, for the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round about and keep thee on every side and shall lay thee even to the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave one Leave in thee one stone upon another. The Lord saying this. This is found in Luke. Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. You didn't know when God had come down to visit you. And to tell you what you need to do right. And to quit doing the things that you were doing wrong. And so this is where Luke records it. And then of course uh, Matthew talks about it in a little different stronger way as well. We'll get to that in a moment. But Isaiah predicted that. Let me just mention to you over here in Isaiah 10, and I'm going to read this verse again, 10.1. Woe unto them that decree unrighteous decrees, and that write grievousness which they have prescribed. I'm reading here in Isaiah 10.2. To turn aside the needy from judgment, to take away the right from the poor of their people, that widows may be their prey, and that they may rob the fatherless. Verse 3, and what will you do in the day of visitation? That's your visitation, he was saying, Israel. What will you do? And in the desolation which shall come from far. 
and so forth. So he's prophesying here as a prophecy from uh, Isaiah where he prophesied about the judgments of God that would come upon uh, Israel in one day whenever he would talk about God visiting them and when the Lord visited them. Now, in the 21st chapter of Matthew, Jesus went into the temple in his last visit to Jerusalem. And those Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, priests, who were the religious leaders of the day, they tried their best to shut Jesus down. They did not want him teaching. They did not want him doing miracles. They did not want him having any persuasion on the people. They did not want him having any influence. And so they tried to shut him down. Now, all Israel was not wicked, but these men, had they had sort of bonded together to try to keep anybody else out of their innermost society where they controlled everything. Control was a big factor. And they controlled the people of Israel and they were in cahoots with Rome. And the Pharisees were more against Rome and wanted to overthrow Rome where the Sadducees were in tight with Rome and uh, they were at odds with each other. The scribes were men who were supposed to know the word of God, but they subscribed mostly, the scribes subscribed mostly, not to the writings of Moses, but to their own writings and the people that were before them. Uh, in other words, they bypassed the prophets, they bypassed Moses. And so they had become hypocritical in their thinking and so forth. Jesus rebuked them. And whenever he had talked to them, they, they sent the Sadducees to him. They tried to confound him. And then he could always, always say words that were out, that outsmarted them, that was more knowledgeable of them. Uh, the wisdom and the knowledge that he had of the scriptures and everything just baffled them. They'd walk away. They didn't have any answer. They didn't know what to say. And uh, that went on for from 21, 22, 23. When you get to chapter 23, and finally, at the end of it, you, of that conflict comes down through verse 12. And finally, at verse 13, Jesus weighs into them. And he tells them, woe unto you. That's the same thing that Jeremiah said over, Isaiah said in chapter 10, verse 1, woe unto you. The woe is a word meaning this is bad. It's bad things are coming your way. And so starting in verse 13, and I mentioned this to you last week and showed you scripture on it, but starting in verse 13, all the way down through the 39th verse, I think it is, the Lord talks to them about these woes. Verse 29 was the last one, but there are eight woes that he presents to them, telling them, woe unto you because you've done this, you've done that, you've done this, and he names it, he names it. Now, let me say this, folks, the Bible and Jesus did the same. The Bible doesn't just speak against sin, it names sin. It names sin. Now, some folks can go to church and hear the preacher preach against sin all day long. They don't care. They don't matter to them. As long as you don't name it. But when the word begins to name sin, and the word begins to spell it out, and the word is very plain about it. Very plain about it. When it starts naming sin, then people get edgy and they get restless and they get nervous and they get a little bit upset about it because it, it comes close, too close to home. What the Lord wants us to do is say, okay, God, I'm going to change my ways. I'm going to get right. I'm going to line up. I'm going to do what you want me to do. That's the purpose of it all. And when Jesus came to these Pharisees, he did not just say, you're a bunch of 
uh, snakes and rascals, which he did. But he went on to say, here's what you're doing. And he names it. So he names off eight wars. I'm not going to go through this, and I've already mentioned it to you. But in this 23rd chapter, he starts naming off all of these sins. Finally, he comes to verse 36. And he says this, Verily I say unto thee, all these things shall come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which sent thee, how oft would I have gathered thee, uh, thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens in her wings, and ye would not. You wouldn't have it. He said then, verse 38, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Your house. And the house, of course, is them as a Jewish family. And it's also referring to the fact that their temple would be destroyed as well. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about, uh, about this destruction of the things that would, that would come upon the earth and everything. Israel was a foreshadow. It was a foreshadow of the Gentile world. In other words, Jesus said, whoa, 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 whoa. And now... The woes are pointing to us Gentiles because now salvation has been given unto us. What are we going to do with it? I'm talking about Gentile world now, not you as as saints of God. You've made that decision. You're going to live for God and walk with God and God bless you for it. But the Gentile world, what is a Gentile world going to do with God's visitation to them? You know, and the Lord will come and visit them. Now, I want to read a verse of scripture to you here, if you will allow me to do that, go a little bit further here. Uh, look in, look in uh, Jeremiah 25 and 29. Jeremiah 25, 29. And this is the prophecy here about Israel's fall and how God is going to follow up one day with the fall of all the Gentile nations. Everybody still with me? Praise the Lord. This is going to lead into, um, we're headed into some prophecy here, a little prophecy that's, that Jesus started out with in the gospel books. So here in Jeremiah 25, 29, for lo, I begin to bring evil on the city, that's Jerusalem, which is called by my name. And should ye be utterly unpunished, ye shall not be unpunished. For I will call for a sword upon all the inhabitants of the earth. And he says here in verse 33, I'm jumping down to save time. It's more to be said in between. And the slain, verse 33, the slain of the earth shall be at that day, at that day, at that day, whatever day that is going to be. And that day is down the road and is on the horizon. The slain of the Lord shall be at that day from one end of the earth, even unto the other end of the earth. And so God has pronounced here that there's going to be a great time of, of judgment and condemnation. Here's what uh, Peter says. I'm reading 1 Peter 4:17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. So if the Lord said to Israel, because of your sins, woe unto you because of that, your house is left unto you desolate. And not only, excuse me, not only did Jesus speak about it, But Daniel, way over in the book of Daniel, spoke about it as well. Daniel talked about the judgments of God coming on there. Daniel says these words over in 9.26, Daniel 9.26. And after three score and two weeks, the weeks is a symbol of speaking of multiple years. I won't get into that. But after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. 
That means the Messiah is going to be killed. Daniel prophesied the death of, of the Messiah, which was Christ. The word Christ is the New Testament word for Messiah, which is the Hebrew word for it. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, which was Jesus, but not for himself. Jesus didn't die for himself. He died for the, for the world or he died for those that would believe on him. And the people of the prince that shall come, the people of the prince that shall come, the prince that shall come with the people was Titus. Titus, the, the, uh, the young general, his father Vespasian had just taken the emperorship of Rome and had gone to Rome to receive the emperorship. He became the emperor of Rome. And he told his son, Titus, you pick up where I leave off here in this war against the Jews and fight it on out. And so he was the prince. And so the Bible had prophesied that it would be a prince. It wouldn't be a king. It wouldn't be a great general, but just be a young prince. And the people of the prince that shall come, the people, notice that, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The people, that is the Roman soldiers. Now, this is recorded in Josephus, Josephus who recorded this battle. When the Roman soldiers finally broke in to Jerusalem and they went in to destroy the temple, there was instructions given by Vespasian, the old Roman emperor, to his son Titus. Don't destroy the Jewish temple. Don't destroy it. So he was the general. He was in charge of the whole army. Now, Josephus records this. That when they came in, they started tearing down the temple, burning it with fire, beating it down. And he got out and he shouted to his generals, don't destroy the temple. They just kept on going. And Josephus says that it was as if they never heard him. It was as if they had stopped ears. They did not even know he was seeing it. And he would yell to his generals, don't destroy the temple. But they did. They destroyed it right down until there was not one stone on another. There was gold in that temple on the walls. That gold began to melt and run those cracks. Those Roman soldiers went crazy. And as that gold melted and went down those cracks, they started digging it out and getting that gold. And it went frantic. And Jesus had already prophesied, not one stone shall be left upon another. Folks, I'm telling you, the word of God is always right. And it'll always happen right. Praise the Lord. And here it is way back over here in the book of Daniel. Here it was uh, 500 years before Christ that he said that that temple that is, is going to be destroyed and the prince of Hashem shall destroy the temple and the city and the end thereof shall be with a flood and unto the end of the war. Desolations are determined. And that's exactly what happened. That was in 70 AD. The Jews were devastated. They were destroyed as a nation. They were taken slaves down in Egypt. They were sold as slaves. Uh, into all parts of the world. And to this day, Jews are still scattered all over the world from that event that happened then. That's been 2,000 years ago. The Lord said that Israel shall be blinded. That is, that they will not understand that Jesus is their Messiah. They shall be blinded for two days. A day with the Lord is a 1,000 years, a 1,000 years is one day. For two days, Hosea 6, 2, read it sometime. They shall be blinded for two days. And the third day, I will raise them up. Amen. Third day. So we're, we're into the third day now. This is 20, you know. And so 2,000 years has passed. We're already into the third day. Time for the Lord to come back for his people. It's time for Israel to be reestablished as a great nation on the face of the earth. Although they are a small nation, they're not a great nation yet and so forth. Now, I'm just sort of jumping ahead and giving you some stuff here. I want to talk to you, though, about what's going to happen to the Gentile world because the woes are there. 
If you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me, if you would, to uh, Revelations chapter 8 and verse 13 a moment. Revelations 8, 13. And uh, we're, when you read the 8th chapter, you're already in the, into the tribulation period big time, big time. The 6th chapter, the 6th chapter is a devastating chapter of events that will happen in the world. I won't, and eventually we'll probably talk about some of those things. But when you get to chapter 8, the, in chapter, chap, the entire 8th chapter of Revelation is about the Lord destroying certain things about the earth by, the, by one third. One third of this happens, one third of that, one third. And all the 8th chapter is about one third, one third of the grass burns up, one third of the water turns to blood, one third of the heavens are affected. And things will begin to happen on the earth, down in the earth volcano eruptions, earthquakes, the heavens will begin to, uh, shooting stars, uh, comets, all kinds of things will begin to take place. Remember, God is the God of it all. Praise the Lord. And when it comes that time, it will happen just like he said it would happen. Look at the 13th verse. This is the last verse in chapter eight. This is Revelations eight thirteen, And behold, and I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of the heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe. Remember this now. Jesus spoke to those, those Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, and said, Woe unto you. And he named off those woes to them. And that meant there was judgment coming your way if you don't make a change. And it's coming your way because you are persistent not to make a change. This world, folks, is getting in bad shape. It's getting in bad shape. It is. I think there's still going to be revival. I think God's still going to honor his people. I think people are going to get saved. It'll keep on being that way till Jesus comes because God has ordained it. Go again, in all the world, preach the gospel. Where the gospel is preached, there's going to be people get saved. How long will the Lord hold back the tide and give us a chance to keep on winning souls? The Lord has blessed America because we have been missionary minded. And America has been good to the Jewish people. We have. That's America as a nation. Also, it has been a God-fearing nation, basically. But there's an element in America trying very hard to make it not, not God-fearing, not Jesus-believing nation. In other words, we are just democracy, and that's all. That's what Rome was, democracy, and it fell. I'm talking about the city of, not, not, not the Vatican, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Rome as the city, the ancient city of Rome, the Roman Empire. And I'm just saying democracy is not our strength. Democracy is not our strength. Our strength is our faith in God, our belief in God, and God on our side. Praise the Lord. As long as we keep God on our side, and we've had God on our side, I think that our, our missionary giving has made God's blessings upon us, whether we're a church, whether we're a Florida district, or whether we're a nation. Uh, you know. But if we can be, uh, if we can be considerate, and giving like that. I believe that God honors that. He honors that. I still believe Americans are, are the biggest givers of anybody on the face of the earth. I do believe that, American people. But if we ever get tight-fisted and we ever get selfish and self-centered and all about ourselves and all about our everything, we can, that can go overnight. We are nothing special. We Americans are nobody. We're not smarter than nobody else. We're not above anybody else. We're not greater than anybody. It's just the blessings of God have been upon us. Praise the Lord. But the time and the day will come in which America, along with 
much of Europe and, and the Middle East and Asia and everywhere else, they're going to, and I'm sure Africa as well, they're going to feel these things that will come upon them because God has ordained that upon the world they will come these. And so it names these three woes. And it goes on to begin, begin to talk about various things that will happen. Now I'm going to jump ahead in this Revelation chapter 9 for just a moment. I know I've got you jumping all over the place here in the Bible. And I usually I stay with one book and sort of follow it. But this one, I'm talking here about the prophecies of Jesus and how it ties in with our day to day. Look in Isaiah, I mean, uh, look in uh, uh, Jeremiah, uh, sorry, uh, Revelations chapter 9, verse 12. And this is after one woe has passed. It said this 18, this 8 and 13 said, woe, woe, woe. And then when you get to 9, 12, one woe is passed. Everybody see that? One woe is passed and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. And then he starts naming the things that will happen and they come upon the earth. Look at verse 13. And the six angels sounded and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. And verse 14 saying to the six angel, which have the trumpet, loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. Everybody see that? Loose the, the four, loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. Now, I want you to look at 2 Peter 2.4 for a minute. 2 Peter 2.4. Just hold your place there. We're going to come back to Revelation in a moment. This is not talking about God's message. This is talking about fallen angels. Second Peter 2.4. All right, I got two different places. Two, four. For God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Now, let me give you another verse that ties in with that. And that's in Jude. That's the book that precedes Revelation. Jude is only one chapter. And I'm going to have you go to verse. Let me get there myself. Verse uh, six, I believe it is. Six, it is. Jude, one verse six. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved into everlasting chains under the darkness and under judgment of the great day. So there are fallen angels that God has put in chains. So when you read over here in the book of Revelation, verse 14 in chapter nine, it says, saying to the sixth angel, which uh, hath the trumpet loose the four angels, which are bound in chains in the great, it doesn't say chains, but I'm saying it in the great river Euphrates. Now, here's something very interesting about the great river Euphrates. And uh, if you've got your Bibles there, uh, look with us. And I think it's in Jeremiah 51. Look in Jeremiah 51 with us for a moment. Let me show you something. This is Jeremiah coming to the end of his book that he wrote. And he wrote about the judgments of God that would come upon that city of Babylon. And Babylon is not only that country, but it is, it is idolatry. 
idolatry. Can I just say one thing? God hates idolatry. When you study that in the Bible, God, there was an abomination to God. You know why God hates idolatry? Because it is people taking something else from God and making it their God. God made all things. And they worship the creature more than the creator. And it's, a, it's, it's, an, it's, it's, it's an insult to God. It's an insult to God to worship something else. And an idol is an image of what they think exists in a spiritual sense. So they got a little image there. And the Bible talks extensively about idols. And uh, Babylon became the father or the leader or the head of all idolatry and all this false religion and multiple religions. There's God the father and there's God the mother and there's a God the son and there's a God the cousin. That's why they had a God of of the ocean, a God of Venus, God of love, a God of, uh, they get Baal, and they, they get all these names of these gods. Greeks had their series of gods. Romans had all their gods. The, the, uh, every, every one of them had all these series of gods and so forth, and it was like a family they had and so forth. And uh, I want you to know there is one God. One God. One God. Praise the Lord. And his name, as we know it, is Yahweh or Jehovah. It's the same, depending on what language you speak it of, you know. And, he's, and he came to this earth, praise the Lord, in the form of Jesus Christ. Amen. God is God was manifest in flesh. I won't go into detail on that. But uh, Jeremiah, writing this book to these Babylonians, he says here in this last, in this 51 chapter, not the last chapter, but 5160. So Jeremiah wrote in the book of all the evil, which should be, Come upon Babel, Babylon, even all these things that are written against Babylon. And he goes on to say, verse 30, 63, and it shall be when thou, he tells this guy uh, named Shariah, he said, let me read verse 61. Jeremiah said to Shariah, when thou comest to Babylon, thou seest and shall read all these things. Then shalt thou say, O Lord, <clears throat> thou hast spoken against this place to cut it off, that none shall remain in it, neither man or beast but that it shall be desolate forever. Verse 63, and it shall be when thou hast made an end of reading this book that thou shalt bind a stone to it and cast it into the midst of Euphrates. That's the river Euphrates. And thou shalt say, because Babylon was on the Euphrates river. And thou shalt say, thus shall Babylon sink, shall not rise from the evil that will bring upon her and they shall be weary. Thus are the words of Jeremiah. And so that book was thrown in there. So when you get over the book of Revelation, it's like God's got some things that he's remembering that's got to come out of this, uh, this Euphrates River. And so he's got these, these angels bound. Look at verse 14 again of Revelation 9. I want to show you something. And he's talking about these woes that are coming on the earth. Saying to the sixth angel, this is 14th verse, 914 of Revelation. Saying to the sixth angel which had the trumpet, loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loose which were prepared for an hour, for a day, for a month, and for a year for to slay the third part of men. Look at that. A third of the world population. A third part of men and the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 thousand. That's 200 million 200 million strong an army. Uh, and I heard the number of them. 
And it goes on to say here in verse 17, thus I saw the horses and the vision of them that said on them having breastplates of fire and of jest. And this could be a modern warfare as it appeared to somebody who did not understand modern warfare as they, as they would have interpreted it to be like, like John when he, he wrote what he saw. Breastplates and the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three was the third part of men killed, verse 18. By the fire, by the smoke, and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. Now, I want to talk to you for just a moment here. Uh, let me show you this map. This is, this is the map of the Middle East. And uh, let me see if I can pull it over here. This is the Euphrates River right here. And this red, these red lines are, are country boundaries. This is Iraq. This is Iran over here. This is Saudi Arabia. This is Jordan. This is Syria. This is Turkey up here. Uh, this is Egypt down here in this left-hand corner. You can, can't hardly see it over here where, I, where my pen is. I'm just pointing this out to you to show you that the Euphrates River is in the midst of of the Muslim world, folks. Everybody understand what I'm saying? It's in the midst of the Muslim world. And out of this comes this great war and this trouble and this friction and this fight and fighting. So great that people cannot believe it. Now, I've got a couple of minutes here. I'm going to say this. And I'm going to wind it up here. And I've still got much to tell you about. And I'm going to go into the 24th chapter as well. I was looking recently at a documentary on World War II. World War II is a very interesting study. It is for me because I was a boy in World War II. I was a boy and I remember many things I heard. My dad kept up with a lot of stuff and so forth. And some of you people, you know, grew up in England in World War II. Yeah, it was in England in World War II as a child. And uh, I'm just trying to say here it's a very interesting study. But that was a horrible war. Nearly 80 million people died in World War II. And when I saw it, every time I'd see a series of it and I'd, I'd shut it off and I'd just say, oh God, how terrible that war was. I'd feel so bad I'd just have to pray. I'd say, God, you know, I don't know, your hand is on it all. You know, your hand is over it all. And when it came to the end, listen to me closely on this, when it came to the end of the film and they were getting ready now and all that was left, England, uh, not England, but uh, Europe had succeeded and America had succeeded in defeating Germany and, and the Axis powers. And all was left now was Japan. And Japan had said, we're not surrendering. And, we're not. and Truman realized that he would lose a million American soldiers and fighters and Marines if he tried to invade Japan. And they were de destined to fight till they all died. He knew that. So Truman said, I got to do something drastic. And they had developed the atomic bomb. They had two of them. And they dropped them. Hiroshima and Nagasaki. You well know the history of it. It devastated. What, there was over like 200,000 people perished immediately in Hiroshima. 125,000 people perished in Nagasaki. Finally, the Japanese, not knowing that was the only two bombs we had at that time, they figured that they're going to get wiped out like this if they don't go ahead and surrender. And so they made the decision to do so. Now, the reason I'm seeing all of that is saying that when I saw that, 
I thought World War II is nowhere near as bad as what it could be next time. And I'm telling you what, with the knowledge that we have with atomic power, Russia has the atomic power, America has it, England has it, France has it, Israel has it, uh, now, uh, Iran's trying to get it, North Korea is, is, either, is probably got it. I mean, it's getting to be sort of a strange place in this world where people have this power. They can wipe out huge numbers of people at one time. And I have to conclude that over here in the book of Revelation, in this ninth chapter, it has to be a nuclear war that's going to be fought. And I'm just trying to say here today, if you ever thought about getting saved, now's the time to get saved. You don't want to put it off. If you ever thought about going out in the world, not living for God, now is not the time to do it. <laughs> I made a statement last week that two or three people brought it to my attention. I said, don't give up anything for Jesus. I meant don't give up Jesus for anything. If you remember me saying that, that was my era. But don't you love the Lord? Keep walking with God. Keep serving the Lord. This Bible is true. And just like Jesus said, not one stone shall be left upon another. That's exactly what happened. I've been to Palestine. I've been to Israel. I've been to that tip of Mount about three times. And he and, and is right. There is no stone of that temple left on that on that premises. There's some of the stones around the wall on the outside on the west side that's way down deep. But that's all. But there's none of that temple that's there. Aren't you glad you know the Lord and you serve him? God's word is always right. Believe it. Trust in it. And he'll never fail us. Let's stand together. Let's worship God one more time. Praise his wonderful name and thank him for his goodness. Lord, we love you, Jesus. We praise you, God, for your salvation, for your wonderful gospel, for your presence, your power, your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. Thank you for your people. Bless us in this morning's service today. We give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.